Hello, and welcome to the AMA Steps Forward podcast series. We'll hear from healthcare leaders nationwide about real-world solutions to the challenges that practices are confronting today. Solutions that help put the joy back into medicine. AMA Steps Forward program is open access and free to all at stepsforward.org. Welcome. My name is Stacey Lloyd. I'm the Director of Digital Health and Operations here at the AMA and will be your host. I'm excited about today's topic. We haven't previously covered it in our program. E-consults are a form of telehealth that occurs between physicians and or potentially other types of clinical providers via phone, video, and other virtual platforms that allow for two-way communication and are often used to increase care coordination, increase access to high-quality specialty care, reduce unnecessary referrals, among other things. For the program today, you'll hear a case study from Dr. Atanda, and then we'll have a brief discussion to dive into some key questions around e-consults. So I am excited to introduce our presenter for today's session, Dr. Alfred Atanda, Jr., he is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon at Nemours Children's Health in Wilmington, Delaware, where he is chief of the Center for Sports Medicine, director of clinician well-being, and assistant professor of orthopedic surgery at the Sydney Kimmel Medical College at Thomas Jefferson University. As director of clinician well-being, he works to promote professional satisfaction and practice sustainability for physicians, bringing awareness to the many ramifications of physician burnout lack of well-being, and physician suicide. He is also responsible for vetting and implementing systems-level innovative solutions to reduce burnout related to documentation burden, external regulatory constraints, and clinical workflow inefficiency. His future goals and aspirations are to reimagine how healthcare is delivered by leveraging digital health and telemedicine technology to appropriately triage navigate, evaluate, and treat orthopedic patients. He's the chief editor of the world's first textbook solely dedicated to telemedicine and orthopedic surgery and sports medicine. And he has also launched a telemedicine concierge service for parents of youth athletes called SportsLink MD. That's an impressive resume. Really excited <laughs> to, to have you here today, Dr. Atondo. Welcome again. Thanks for joining us. And I will hand it over to you to kick us off with the case study that shows us e-consults in action, and then we'll chat a little bit after that. Thanks so much, Stacey, and to the AMA for having me. This is really exciting stuff. You know, as an orthopedic surgeon, we kind of get locked into our world of, you know, broken bones and plates and screws and such, and we always are really cognizant of, of trying to improve healthcare, you know, outcomes for our patients, keeping our patients safe, of course. But one of the things that has really been lacking, at least in our world, is how we deliver that quality healthcare. And I think that's something that is kind of the new frontier of medicine. And I really you know, appreciate how the AMA is bringing this forward. I did get my start in, in doing telemedicine back in 2015, way before COVID made it cool. And that's kind of where my role with e-consults kind of came from, because I realized that there had to be a better way of, of doing the work that we're doing. Start off, as you said, with a quick case example. The kid, uh, I think he's about 15 years old, football player. He has a medial epicondyle fracture. So he got hurt on a Friday night playing football, and he went to an urgent care. You know, they got x-rays. They saw that it was broken, uh, but they were really worried and concerned that he was a child. And they put him in a splint, and he went to another urgent care, <laughs> believe it or not, that treated kids more frequently. And he was there, and they saw him. 
they saw he was splinted, saw what he had, and they said, well, you know, he has an unstable elbow fracture. He's he's going to need surgery. It's going to need surgery soon, and you know, he's got to be in an emergency room. So of course, he goes to the first emergency room. You can see where this story is going, and he's seen and evaluated. All the while, he's still in that same splint. They all have his x-rays, and they're like, oh, well, you know, you need to go somewhere where they treat kids. So, of course, he comes to Nemours, and the second year orthopedic resident wakes up at like 2 a.m. and goes and sees him. And for us, in our world, yes, it's a fracture. Yes, it's possible that it needs surgery, but it's definitely not an emergency. It's something that can be done electively. So we send him home. <laughs> so you can imagine, you know, the experience of the family. Like all the while, the child is in pain, right? He just broke his elbow. He's nervous. He has no idea what to expect if he needs surgery, when he's going to have surgery. He's being told all of these things along the way by various providers and people of what he may need to have done. The timing on, you know, this took about eight to 10 hours of their life going through all of these different healthcare organizations and not to mention the resources, right? Every place he was seen, somebody had to check his height and his weight and put him in a room and check his vitals and talk to him and check his insurance. And a doctor or a provider had a document that they did all of those things. So there's so much being sucked up. But in actuality, in all those places, he, he didn't really get what he needed, which was specialty care and advice about how to treat his elbow until he got to see us. And not to mention the money, right? I mean, the, you're paying co-pays, insurance is paying money. He was told that it was an urgent thing and it had to be transferred in an ambulance, that he could not go in his own car from that first ED to our ED. And that cost thousands of dollars. So my thought, when I actually talked to the mom of this patient, because she was upset about this as you can imagine. And my thought is, you know, imagine a world if you could have taken my knowledge and my expertise at the point of contact at any of those original places. I could have looked at his elbow films. I could have looked at his actual elbow via video. I could have talked to the outside provider, the mom, really level set everything and managed the situation from an expectation level, but also logistically and just said, hey, listen, he's in a splint, just send him home. Here's our number. Come back in your own car on a Monday morning when everybody's nice and fresh. And, you know, so we kind of dove into this a bit more. And we, you know, me being a nerd, I wanted to do a quality improvement project. So we looked at all of our transfers from outside hospitals for a, a year's worth of time. And we had about 350 of them. And what we found was that 30% of the time, they actually didn't even need to come to our emergency room. They were just kind of told they needed to come or people felt that they needed to come. But there was no way of me and my orthopedic colleagues consulting with the outside hospital. Like all these people just showed up and then we triaged and managed them. On average, it took about nine hours of time between the outside hospital and our hospital. You can imagine when you come to RED, you're not a VIP, right? Like you've been sitting in an outside hospital, you get transferred by an ambulance, and then you're waiting in our ER for another three or four hours. But we collaborated with our value-based services organization, our ED folks, our transport folks, and telemedicine to really understand how can we reimagine this process. And you know what I'm really interested in is if you look at this kind of bottleneck design, there's very few ways that people can get into a healthcare ecosystem. And that's usually just going to your PCP, going to an urgent care, going to an ER, and everybody's kind of going through the same channels. But if you look at the healthcare ecosystem, there is so many ways. It's just that people don't really know how to get in and they just kind of go by you know, the, the path of least resistance. 
And I see myself in the future being more of like an air traffic controller, seeing all the patients with fractures and injuries all across, you know, the Delaware Valley where I happen to practice and help guiding them and navigating into our system at the right point of contact to see the right provider at the right time for the right issue. And a lot of that stems from me being able to talk to the outside providers. Now, when you think of like planes taking off, it's the same thing. There's like pre-flight stuff, in-flight stuff, and when they land, every patient's problem is very similar to a flight pattern. It has a longitudinal continuum in a journey from the time they realize they have an issue to the time that their issue is resolved. And I think by really connecting myself to the outside providers, we can really function to navigate people along that continuum of the journey. It isn't just episodic where I just, you see you in the ER and I give you some paper discharge paperwork and say, okay, go see your orthopedics. And then it's up to you to like figure out when and who and how. Imagine if someone like myself or another similar provider had that knowledge to guide you from step to step to step and manage your expectations, answer your questions, teaching the other providers so we can all do this together to appropriately navigate patients. And this is kind of, in my mind, the goal of, of you know, e-consults and provider-to-provider -provider communication. And I think about it in two main flavors. So the, the previous example was like synchronous care I was imagining. Imagine if I could be talking to an urgent care doctor in real time with a patient in front of them. And you know that's a little bit harder to do because I work and I have other responsibilities, but if you could do that, we've been piloting that at our organization. You know, we've been look, leveraging technology to interface with outside PCPs, emergency room docs, urgent care docs, a specialist on a screen, educating the patient, educating the family, guiding them. And you can even do it with physician extenders and physician assistants and advanced practice nurses. And having somebody kind of on the ground floor, and then the specialist will be helping to guide treatment and educate folks. What we do even to a further extent is even just with medical assistants and athletic trainers, we can do simple things like having them put on a sling for patients, having them remove stitches, take casts off or change wet casts. And I think, you know, that's kind of the new frontier because a lot of times people would get up and come and see me just to get a boot or just to get their stitches taken out. But imagine if they can stay in their medical home and their primary communities, have somebody on the ground floor with them, but infuse my knowledge and my advice and expertise to where it needs to go. Switching gears to asynchronous consults, which I think what most people think of when they think of e-consults, you think of store and forward, or, or like typing email. So this is asynchronous messaging, right? So someone like myself gets some sort of message, whether it be a paragraph, whether it be an x-ray, whether it be a clinical vignette. And it's usually routed from a primary care physician to like a nurse triage station. And that individual then siphons those messages out to the appropriate specialist. I've come up with a opinion or guidance or treatment plan and then it goes back to that original PCB or provider at some point in the future, usually within a day or two. I've been doing this since about 2016 or so with several different companies, and we're hoping to bring that to our larger organization at some point in the future. And it can be really helpful because, like I said, the PCPs in these, in these situations are often very well versed with the problem, but they just need a little bit more reassurance, a little bit of guidance. They may not be totally comfortable with just sending someone to therapy or getting an MRI. So it's very, very convenient and streamlined 
to just get my knowledge to kind of where it needs to go, as opposed to just sending the patient to see me for a non-operative problem that could be really, you know, handled well and appropriately by the original physician. You know, large healthcare systems, we make money by doing two things, seeing patients, doing procedures, or a third thing, like ordering tests. Those are the three primary ways. So it's kind of outside of the box thinking to have like a specialist designed to then be able to engage with the outside world, because that's not typically when people view me as a surgeon, they see me as somebody producing in the operating room. And the idea that I would not do that so I can then engage with people on the outside, it's, it's, it's kind of foreign to people, but it definitely has its benefits. You're definitely going to need the appropriate buy-in. So C-suite level individuals are the ones oftentimes who make the decisions. And you're going to have to convince them that not only is this just good for healthcare, it's good to streamline things, it's good to minimize waste, but it's also good for potential you know, revenue generation. With e-consults and, and provider-to-provider communication, I think the number one premise is how do we figure out how to leverage technology appropriately to move knowledge, move expertise, and move guidance as opposed to move people. Because everything outside of our worlds are very convenient, whether it be you know e-commerce or video streaming or ride sharing. You can do everything any way quickly at the palm of your hands. But in order to access specialty care, sometimes that could be like an act of God or an act of Congress just to just be evaluated by somebody. So hopefully this little case vignettes will spark some questions and good discussion as how we can kind of dive into that premise a little bit further. So as I'm sitting here listening, how is this a little bit different or like kind of what what takes it a step beyond just care coordination that, you know, when you start to get into like the the billing for it and asking for payment for these types of services, right? How how does that kind of e-consults really go beyond care coordination to make it warrant a, you know, essentially a billable service? One of the main things in care coordination is it's a lot of logistics. I think a lot of times historically people think of care coordination as scheduling appointments, you know, setting up appointments ensuring that patients have what they need before and after appointments. And, you know, the thing about e-consults, it, 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 it involves that, but it also brings in the notion of a treatment plan where care coordination doesn't really do that. Like once you have your treatment plan, then we coordinate the care from there. But this is at ground zero. Somebody shows up somewhere to see a physician and then that physician leverages technology in some which way, shape, or form to then engage with somebody who can help guide that patient, but also educate that physician. And I think that's what that next level is, because that's historically what is missing. You know, when people call my institution, it's usually about how do you get an appointment to come and see me? Whereas now, if you're doing e-consults, it's not necessarily really about coming to see me. It's like almost like phone a friend, like, hey, here I am. I'm managing this issue, but I would just like to just have a little bit more you know, guidance or help or just questions. And I think that's something that's not very common. And that's what kind of makes it a very robust, independent, billable service. I think that is right on point and, and a good distinction to put out there and talk about that it really does kind of go beyond that. You did talk a little bit about it, the um, impacts to patients, which 
you know, the time and money alone is, is huge. What else have you seen in terms of positive impact to both patients and also the clinician or the physician experience using e-consults? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there are multiple stakeholders in this kind of endeavor. I think primarily, first and foremost, it's going to be the patients because, not to sound paternalistic, but ultimately they don't know where they should be going to get the care that they need. They just go to, you know, everybody knows their medical home and their PCPs and the urgent cares in their environment. But being shuffled from a PCP to a specialist for an orthopedic problem, every single time there's an orthopedic issue, it takes a a toll on the patient. It takes time, it takes energy. God forbid they live in a rural place where they have to go 200 miles to see a specialist. Mm -hmm. So I think the capacity and the ability to get quote unquote specialized care in an environment that you're comfortable with, that you're used to, that's near your house, I think is huge. And to be honest with you, even if you live one mile away from the specialists, if you don't have to go, but you can still you know, trust that your primary physician is, is guiding you appropriately with that specialist input, I think that's a win-win for the patient, not just with time and energy, but also their overall comfort level and, and you know, the normal expectations they have from a PCP uh, perspective or a physician perspective, I mean, to be able to have specialist advice at your fingertips is huge because most of the time, if they want to engage with somebody like me, it's almost impossible. Most health systems have so many barriers in between the people that need my advice and me. There's so many levels. You can't just call this hospital and just talk to an orthopedic surgeon typically. So having that chain of command at their fingertips is going to be helpful. And also it'll give them the confidence and empower them to take on maybe some more complex patients and cases because they have that knowledge and expertise right readily available to them. And then finally from us, you know, then I can, you know, kind of guide and control the types of patients that I'm seeing from a well-being perspective as a surgeon. I want to see surgical patients. If I can keep my, you know, have my knowledge and expertise go to where it needs to go for some of the more simpler issues and non-operative issues. I'm still helping people. I'm still generating revenue. I'm still being of value to my community, but I'm also maintaining my practice and keeping it streamlined. So I'm doing the kind of things that bring me joy, the things that I want to do and the things that my practice um, is set up to do. So I think multiple stakeholders can benefit from this in multiple different ways, just depending on the viewpoint. Yeah, I think that's great. I think there's tons of benefits to this and um, positives. Uh, Have you seen any negatives? And I think particularly before we dig into like the details or the nitty gritty of billing for these types of services, knowing that some of that may be passed down to the patient, maybe they're not used to receiving, uh, you know, charges for something that you know, feels very like it's always been a part of care or something, right? right. Um, have you have you experienced any kind of patient complaints or frustrations around getting billed for something or not completely understanding like that is a type of billable service or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think um, you just have to be very careful about transparency. Just as if I went physically to the emergency room and I saw a patient with my resident or whatever and I billed them, I don't know how much the ER is actually telling them that they're going to receive another bill and another consult, you know, but being able to tell them that really isn't any different than if I went there in person. So if it's not an emergency room over it's a PCP's office, you have to have full transparency and, and even ask them like, Hey, are you okay if I do this? 
Now, a lot of the systems that are out there, they're actually, these e-consult services are actually funded by payers and different government systems because they know that it's cheaper than just having each patient go on and around and just seeing specialists. So a lot of times there isn't an extra cost to the patient, but if it's a system where there would be, where they're directly billing that individual's insurance, I think just letting them know ahead of time that, hey, you maybe billed an extra 50 or $100 for this visit, but it may save you a trip 200 miles to go see a specialist. It may get you your knowledge and advice that you're seeking in a day or two, as opposed to waiting a month to go see a specialist. I think people mostly focus on the, the financial aspect and people getting excess bills. But what is the alternative? Mm-hmm. right? You think of the traditional way, okay, you see your PCP, you don't get an extra bill, but then you come and see me 45 days later for a problem that's not even surgical. And you took time off of work. You took your kid out of school because I'm a children's hospital. All of those things are extremely costly and frustrating to people. It's just that it's not easily quantifiable. So we yep. tend to focus on, oh, somebody got an extra bill for 50 bucks. How are you going to mitigate that? But having people seek specialist care in a completely inefficient fashion most of the time is probably way more costly than an extra $50 e-consult bill. But again, it's all about transparency, being open and honest with the patients. And if you know if they don't want to do it for any extra bill, obviously, then you don't have to do it. But I think it should at least still be an option for sure. I think that's a great point. And thinking back to your example of how many different places that that kid had to go right. before they got an answer and paying each copay for emergency room and urgent care and all the things. And imagine if you offer that mom, hey, at that first urgent care for an extra $50, we'll have Dr. Atanda take a quick look at your x-ray, help guide me to guide you to where you need to go, as opposed to three extra you know, facility visits. And it's interesting because when we talk about e-consults and something that's a little outside the box, people, like I said, people focus on that. But that clinical scenario that I showed you, that only came to light because the mom was upset and didn't want to pay our organization. That's not out of the ordinary. Maybe not four visits, but I guarantee you people go to a PCP, then to an urgent care, then to our emergency room all the time. A lot of those times, it's not really anything that warrants an emergency room visit. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, nobody says anything about that because everybody is getting paid theoretically at all of those sites. You know, there's enough chicken for everybody, so everybody's happy. But in the, in the, in the vein of future value-based payment models, that probably will go away. And then people are going to have to readily adopt these sorts of, you know, kind of outside of the box treatment methods for sure. All right. Well, speaking of payment, can you share a little bit more around billing for these services and kind of what codes to use or when to use them um, and, you know, what you do in your practice? Yeah. So my large experience with e-consults is mostly outside of like my primary practice here at the hospital. Mostly what we do telehealth for is very typical of what most people you know, do telehealth for. So just managing your own patients and that sort of thing. There are actual codes for asynchronous versus synchronous provider to provider communications and their codes for simple phone consultation. And these are legitimate codes that even existed prior to COVID, but obviously exploded a little bit once the pandemic hit. And most payers do recognize them because you know they tend to follow CNS guidelines and policies. So it's going to be your synchronous codes, your asynchronous codes, and then like telephone, phone consultation codes, interprofessional codes is what they're called. 
We have someone that is about to start volunteering to do some e-consult and was interested in kind of uh, what to expect and what to do to prepare for this type of role. Anything, you know, from your experience on more of an individual level, like did you, what did you do to kind of prepare yourself to start doing this a little bit more often? Yeah. So I think the number one thing that's key is going to be workflow. So if you're just volunteering and you're doing this on the side, like I do, you know, I'm a full-time orthopedic surgeon, but I do these things in my own time. It has to be amenable to your current practice in terms of just your normal workflow and what, you know, how you get through your day. So a lot of the consults that I do, I usually have one to two days to respond. And that's very helpful for me. So I can do my regular job and like, you know, the last half hour of the day or when I get home, I can bang through a couple of emails or respond to a couple of folks. Um, there's certain there's certain um, companies out there that suggest you respond within three hours or within six hours. I can't do that, right? I could be in surgery for six hours and I can't respond or do anything. So whatever it is that you try to do, you have to make it conducive to your particular workflow as a physician because oftentimes... You're not going to just stop your day job and just start doing e-consults right off the bat. It's going to be fluid and dynamic. You can be doing both for a while. But if it takes off, maybe you do a lot of e-consults and a little bit less of your traditional practice. But it has to be something that works for you because if it doesn't, then you're just going to quit. That's the bottom line. You're going to do it. It's going to be too stressful. It's going to be too taxing, especially if you're volunteering and not getting paid for it. You don't want it to be a burden. You want it to be something that kind of melds well with your regular practice. So if you have two or three days to respond to an email, I think that's like a very good setup. And then you find time that it works well for you. I usually do it outside of work hours, so I don't interfere with like my regular practice as a surgeon. But if it's something that's going to be through your own organization and your hospital, then you may be able to do it you know, during your work hours or carve out, hey, from eight to 10 two days a week, I'm going to respond, you know, to, to e-consults or something like that. But I would say, I mean, obviously there's lots of things to consider, but first and foremost, it's just logistically and practically, how are you going to weave this into your current workflow? Great tips. For those that are looking at this from like an organizational perspective and maybe mm -hmm. how to get buy-in, what do you think those measures of success are that can help kind of gain buy-in and or show the success of an e-consult program? Yeah, I mean, I think the primary goal, um, like right now, if, if you have a bunch of uh, a large PCP network within your organization, theoretically, most of the time, if they see something that requires a specialist, they're going to send them to a specialist. But over time, what you may find is you can look at the percentage of time that they're now sending people to specialists for similar problems. And the goal is to decrease that percentage so that they can keep some of those patients for themselves. And they're only sending people to specialists when they need to. One of the things that we look at with e-consults is, you know, that very thing, like what's the outcome of the consult? Is it the PCP can still manage this patient? I need more information to be able to decide who should manage the patient versus, hey, this patient needs to go see a specialist. Like those are the three main pillars. And I think a lot of times the, the last thing, you know, sending to see a specialist is what mostly happens in a lot of situations. But I think capturing that for a particular provider, a physician in particular practice is going to be key because you want that percentage that gets kept with the PCP that they're comfortable taking care of. You want that to be as high as possible just so that it's best for the patient, 
PCP can manage the patient, and that's also not something that necessarily has to see the specialist. Next thing you want to look at is like we do a lot of work with like appointment timing, like how long it takes to get particular appointments. So what you may find is that by engaging the physicians talking to each other, it's going to help streamline and facilitate patients getting in, right? So if I talk to a particular doc and they say, hey, listen, this kid has this injury, blah, 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 they need to be seen. Now I can then talk to my team and say, hey, listen, you know, this doc just called me about Johnny. He has cartilage injury in his knee. I really want to get it back quickly and get an MRI. Let's facilitate him getting in. As opposed to that PCP, just having Johnny's mom call the general scheduling office and yeah. be bouncing around and people saying, oh, well, Dr. Atanda's on vacation. He's doing this. It just helps people get in quickly. And not that Johnny is a P, uh, VIP. It's just that now I already know. I know what he needs. I know the best time for me to see him. I know what I can offer him. So being able to look at how appointment times are hopefully decreased based on you know an e-consult program, I think is going to be huge. And then last but not least, you, you definitely want to show that the quality of care isn't decreasing. So you want to find a way to look at patients who kind of are referred through the e-consult network to specialists versus not referred to specialists, or if they just stay with their own PCP. You want to show that the care and the outcomes, however you normally monitor outcomes, is the same, regardless of if the patient stayed with the PCP or if they were just referred over to me, both for like a non-operative problem. You want to show that the care is equal. And that'll give you more confidence that, oh, you know, just with a little bit of specialist advice and expert expertise, it's okay to be treated by your PCP. So it's definitely going to be a lot of, and I'm a whole, I wholeheartedly believe in having appropriate metrics. I don't think you should go on, like take on an endeavor like this and just say, okay, let's do it. It'll be good for patients. We'll save money. And then that's that. You need to have the metrics outlined ahead of time. How are you going to measure success? How often are you going to look to measure success? And then what's your contingency plan? If you don't get to that successful level that you've stated for yourself, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to scrap the program? Are you going to pivot? Are you going to augment? Are you going to kind of turn it off for two or three months and then retool and revamp things? So having some idea of how you're going to measure success and what to do about it, I think is almost as important as the program itself, for sure. When you're doing these types of services asynchronously or synchronously, do yeah. you usually do them through the electronic health record or are there other types of, of platforms or technologies that are out there that you use to kind of provide these services? Yeah, I mean, there's both. Some health systems have their own um, e-consult service. Like we do very impromptu, informal, like staff messaging through our electronic health record. So it's not a formal e-consult program. There's no billing, but docs can text me and email me, you know, through the, the EHR Epic that we use and I can review the patient's chart. When you do that kind of with private companies, most of these companies have their own platform. So you would log in, you have your username and login, and then everything is in there. Sometimes it's web-based, sometimes it's app-based, sometimes it's both. But it all depends on just which company you're engaging with or which health system you're engaging with. As long as it's secure and it's something that's easily accessible by the physician specialist, I think is, is the most important thing. It has to be convenient for me to be able to log on in, in whichever way uh, that they have. So it can't be something that's really cumbersome that requires like two and three and four factor authentication. It's, you know, the best ones for me are the ones where I get a text message. 
I click the link and it takes me straight into the platform with the question and the patient data. I actually don't have to log in directly because it's been embedded through my cell phone number um, and it's unique to me. Um, the more cumbersome ones are the things where I have to get on a computer and log in um, kind of the old fashioned way, but um, it's a crapshoot of what you're gonna get, but there's lots of different variations out there. You just wanna make sure it works the best for your specialists and your PCPs. One final question, are you responsible or liable for your advice and kind of what you know agreements or things need to be in place to kind of protect yourself when you're doing this? Yeah, so when I engage you know, the six or seven companies or so that I do this for on the outside, each and every one of them provides me with liability insurance that's provided to me for free. Um, not to say that it's highly litigious what we're doing, but there's always, you know, just in case. My practice as a physician at Nemours, that li- I have liability insurance there that does not cover yep. me to do that. So if you are going to do this as an individual physician, you want to make sure that you are covered to do so. If you are going to make an offering as a system or an organization, you want to make sure that the folks that are doing this for you are covered whether it be within the walls of your own organization or if they're outside docs. Again, I don't think it's very litigious uh, area, but depending on your specialty, you know, a lot of what I'm doing is just kind of broken bones and fractures and kids. If you're doing something a little bit more complex like oncology and different things like that, then, you know, you want to make sure that you're covered to the level that you find to be appropriate. Thank you, Dr. Tonder, for joining us and sharing your expertise. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode from the AMA Steps Forward podcast series. AMA Steps Forward program is open access and free to all at stepsforward.org. Steps Forward can help put the joy back into medicine by offering real-world solutions to the challenges that your practice is confronting today. We look forward to you joining us next time on the AMA Steps Forward podcast series, stepsforward.org.